Season two of the Pat and JT podcast. Oh my, now I'm here at last. The best time, always gonna be the best. Come on. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. I'm not, I'm gonna try not to be too yelly. I know with this microphone, when I use it, it sometimes gets like screamy. It's so. not, it's not at all operator. It has nothing to do with no. the operator. No, it nothing. doesn't at all. <laughs> I blame it completely on the microphone that has. <laughs> Five star reviews all over the place. I blame it on this microphone. Whatever, yeah. whatever. Okay, <laughs> fine. Anyway, uh, yeah. So you're traveling this week, yeah. Um, and so another eventful uh, airport. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm in. Happened. I I spend more time in Denver than I do in Omaha. But there's a big podcasting. You kind of have family know. out there, so I do. Yeah, that's, that's true. Kind of a thing. That's so. that is kind of a thing. But the, <laughs> but two of the four times I've come, I didn't get to see him because I was working. But either way, I was out. Um, I'm out in Denver, and in the airport in Denver, when I landed, I uh, didn't check a bag or anything, and I'm walking through baggage claim and going to get my Uber, and I hear Pat. I'm like, what? What? I thought for sure some guy was calling his wife Pat over or something. I'm like, surely nobody knows me here. And I turn around and Brian McFadden's in the airport from name. <laughs> but I mean, of all people, of all people, I mean, I know he lives here and I knew he was traveling today, today at some point, but I had no clue that randomly at eight at seven 45, when I'm landing, oh going my. to get my Uber, he's walking into the airport. Did you act like he didn't know him and keep walking? Yeah. <laughs> get away from me, weirdo. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's funny. That's right here. Okay, wait. We don't need the video of this. If I share this, you could. You should be able to hear it, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Or if you share, ideally, it, yeah. if you share it on your like screen share deal, you should. I do screen share. Okay. Here I am. Again. I'm gonna try it. We're gonna throw this up here. Okay. This is Hollywood Raw. Okay. So apparently, Rebel Wilson got thrown out of Club 33 at Walt Disney World. Okay. That's where this starts, okay? And then and and we'll get into here we go. Okay. Hold on. Okay. I don't hear it. There we go. Oh, I gotta add it to my Wait, thing. There the we go. Bathroom inside. Oh, I did she do this inside Club 33 or did she do it inside the um that uh that like hotel room that's in Disney? Wait, what is Club 33? I didn't even know what this is. Are you serious? You don't know what Club 33 is? I've never heard of it. I didn't either. So Club 33 is basically a secret private club inside of Disneyland. It is um, near the French quarters. Like, So when you go and the Pirates of the Caribbean is, up above Pirates, there okay. is a restaurant. And to get to the restaurant, there's one door and it's marked with a 33 and there's like a little speaker system and you push the button and you say your name. And if you have reservations and the only way you can get in is if you know a member and they put you on the list. I've been twice. They've got a a strict no video policy. So you can take photos inside, but you can't take video. And I remember like I was walking through and I had some video and I posted on social. They saw it, dude. Wow. Club 33 saw it and was like, you need to take down your video. I have never heard of this. Did you know that Rebel Wilson? Okay. Yeah. I had never heard of Club 33 either. That is one of my favorite tinfoil hat conspiracies. All the things around Club 33. There's a lot around it. I can't get into all of it. (laughs) It'd be more than some people can handle right now. But (laughs) I will tell you, just on the surface... To to ninety nine percent of people, 
uh, a lot of what Dak said is absolutely correct. He didn't say anything that was wrong. Um, just that there's a Club 33 at every Disney property. It's not just at Disneyland. There's okay. one at every property. And basically the way it is promoted is that it's a place where um, super rich people can get away from the crowds, right? Yeah. And they can they can find a spot to go hang out and uh, get some drinks, get something to eat, uh, sit with the kids, whatever, get away from all the fans. Ah, you know, all that good stuff. <laughs> right, yeah. And and, and kind of hang. But the thing is, is that the Club 33, let me go back to this page here real quick. Like, just to give you an idea of membership-wise, um, Disneyland, it costs $25,000 to join, and then it's 10000 a year after that. Jeez. And for Disney World, I think it's 30000 or 35000 a year. So is it then you get in, like, can you go in as many times as you want, or do you still have to pay to get in when you no, want to go? You still have to make reservations. So you it's like a country club. It's like a you country can't club. Just wander in off the street, even with a membership. Oh wow! Okay. So the biggest one, I think, Disney World is the most, and it's thirty-five thousand or something like that. Annual fee is fifteen thousand. But just because you can get the membership, as it says here, you can't just saunter in. <laughs> you have to make a reservation and probably throw down a little tip of a few thousand dollars. And the waiting list is from five to eight hundred people that over a year's time and depending on which club you're trying to get in. So you have to like really plan ahead that you're going to be at this location or really buck up and, and, and grease somebody's palms really well. So you can get your name lifted to the top of the list. So you can get into the club when you and your, your really rich family is going to be visiting one of those properties. And the 33. Yeah. That that's another that's one of the conspiracies. I was going to ask just, you if, if the conspiracy was behind the number. It's it is kind of because part of it has to do with Freemasonry, and it is rumored that Disney Walt Disney was a thirty third degree Mason, um, and and the Masons themselves. I don't know. I'm I'm still trying to figure out all of that stuff. What that all means because there's a lot to the Masons, the Freemasons, the Knights of Templar. That that whole genre and there's still people out there that are masons i mean the masonic lodge still exists Mm -hmm. eastern star still exists but there's different degrees kind of like scientology um but there are different except you don't have to pay as much money um but you make your way up in the degrees based on both membership and there's money there's money involved and there's other things that go along with it being 33rd degree though i think is the top and that's where the 33 comes in. Supposedly it's kind of like a secret handshake. Okay. They also have those um, like several fraternities do. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about skull and crossbones and how many of our presidents were members of that secret yeah. society. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just sounds so those names just sound so um, I don't know what the word is, not myth- mythological. It just sounds so they sound so fake. It yeah. Storybook. Like- it's storybook. It sounds like those are fairy tales. Mm-hmm. That's a fairy tale. Yep. But it's like, yeah, that's where, where do you think fairy tales came from? And the really yeah. scary part, and, and somebody that I, I followed that got into this, like, and that's where I started going down the rabbit hole on this stuff. Um, there's a whole side of Walt Disney and, and where he came from and how he came to be. And, and uh, really is interesting. Um, but, getting the the freemasonry stuff into it is where it starts getting really interesting and then you see this club 33 and it's like oh could it be more obvious and they said well look at all the fairy tales that we have they didn't necessarily come from 
sweet beginnings. Right. Because there's some of their, most of them are terrifying. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. And they talk about eating children, cooking them in, in alive. Um, you know, all these terrible things or Snow White dies and you know, she's poisoned. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just all these terrible things that go on. Well, Disney world is right in the middle of that crap. Cause they made a movie about each one of them. Yeah. And, <laughs> and there's, there are Easter eggs in every Disney movie. Some are a little more nefarious than others. Yeah. And, and I've seen some of the evidence, some of the pictures and the videos, and you're just like, what freaky cartoonist decided to put that scene or that emblem in a kid's movie in the fifties or the forties. Yeah. Super creepy. And it was a cartoon, so they drew it. It wasn't like they accidentally took a picture. Right. Or something. Like they had plenty of time to say, you know what? This looks like a penis. Do you have an eraser? Yeah. I, wanna, I mean, yeah. But, this, yeah. It looks a little phallic. And so it's like it was almost like a game to see what they could get away with in some of those movies. So interesting. Well, I, okay, I can I can kind of see that on the same kind of note, but not as nefarious and gross. Uh, it. I I guarantee hundred percent it was to see what they could get away with. They probably had some pervs in there drawn, but a long, when I was an intern at Sweet ninety eight and a oh, and God. a Here producer, so they I think I've told this story before maybe, but they the old Sweet ninety eight studios down on Tenth and Farnham had an intercom system that you could access from outside. You dial the number, you'd hit a specific number, and you it wouldn't go to an extension; it would go to the intercom. So you were live for like five seconds. So uh, Dave, the afternoon guy and I would sit before he'd go to work at his pool, maybe having a couple cocktails and we would call in and we would fart over the intercom system. So then it got to the point, it became an obsession where he would fart, like he'd be in the studio working and he would fart into the microphone and tape record it. And then he would try to mix it with songs on the air. So no one could hear it. You could, every once in a while you could hear it. But like only him and I really knew. And there were there were like cer- certain Smashing Pumpkin songs that there was like oh a pop. And you would and he would he had this one part. It was like a it, uh, <laughs> the cadence of the toot was like. Can you get pop. sued for this? I bet the I bet the Smashing Pumpkins could sue you for this. Sure. Uh, the cadence <laughs> of the toot was like pop pop pop. And there was a part in the song that was the opposite of that was pop pop pop. And so we played them at the same time, and it was just magic. And you just you deface their music. I know. Started on smashing pumpkins. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, the, well, going back to this real quick, Disney. There, there used to be companies who had corporate accounts, corporate memberships, and they were they were like, okay, just just tell me in your mind what CEO wants to spend thousands of dollars to have a corporate membership for the private club at Disney World. And why? I can't find any, a reason. And then tell me you don't understand why I think there's more to this story. Yeah. That's but weird. They, they do not have corporate memberships anymore. They used to, but they do not have that anymore. So right now it is, you have to know somebody, a member can call you in a reservation if they can't be there, but otherwise you have to be with a member too. That's the other thing. So yeah, yeah it's, there's, it's just, there's something going on. Weird. Yeah. It's just how am I going to know? You've you've got you've got a seven year old and a ten year old. You want to go to Disney World and you're on a waiting list of eight hundred? No. Hmm. Hmm. I'm thinking hmm. you don't take the kids to Club Thirty Three. 
No, I, you do not. <laughs> no, you don't take the kids to Club 33 <laughs> ever. So anyway, so there was that. I just okay. I just got a kick out of that when I, I heard them talking to him and he's like, oh, I've never heard of Club 33. And I was like, oh, no. And then I hear then, then I hear Dax go, I've been twice. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> I better talk to him before he gets in trouble. So, <laughs> so there was that. Okay, oh, now I've got man. I've got a short story for you because I know we're gearing up for a Husker football season. You've got you're just about in your wheelhouse. We got a week to go. First game. Who, where are we going? Minnesota, Minnesota right? Minnesota mm-hmm. is a Gophers, right? Yep. Okay, so I saw this story it was written by um, Mike Babcock. Yes. And um, he's been covering the Huskers, what, 40-some years? I don't know. It's like forever. for a while. But he talked about, okay, if you're familiar with UNL, Selleck Quadrangle, Nebraska Athletic Dorm a long time ago. Bob Devaney's first team was housed there. Graduate assistant Tom Osborne was in charge of a section where some of the difficult, more difficult athletes lived. (laughs) Not all football players. Athletes. Athletes in general. Um, but they said that the hall's been updated since. But anyway, Coach Matt Rule, you remember recently, mm-hmm. had the Huskers stay there for the first two weeks of fall camp, and and took them Ooh. out of their comfort zone and did a little team building there. I wonder that if that's was, why. I wonder if that's why Rule did it this time. That's awesome, right? Mm-hmm. And so he had. He said that the rules regarding fall camp for him drastically different than they were back in the day. Uh, his practices, though, he had two a days, uh, and they were every day or they had practices every day, two a day practices over 30 days. So they, they were okay. working. Oh yeah. They, they were bonding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The very first coach that was out there, Bill Glassford first season as head coach, 1949, the team traveled to the university's ag college in Curtis, Nebraska. That's where they had camp. So Ooh. 200 miles from home and they go out to the the college out in Curtis. If you haven't been out there, it's gorgeous area, but it's, it's in the middle. It's Curtis. It's in the middle of God's country. Yeah. <laughs> they had three-a-day practices, no water breaks, and a makeshift dorm with the, that was in a gymnasium, but it required the players enter through an upper-level door by climbing hand-over-hand hand on a parallel ladder without Jeez. help. Right? This is, this, is like, this is like hazing to the ninth degree. I mean, yeah. So only the players that had shoulder injuries were allowed to enter through the ground floor door. Um, they said, actually, at one point, a little historical point for you, in 1951, halfback Bobby Reynolds, who was the nation's leading scorer and All-American as a sophomore in 1950, was able to use the walk-in door because he had a shoulder injury, and that was the first of multiple injuries that limited his career for the next two years. So there's a little tidbit. But anyway, Glassford also established what he called the fat man's table. Okay. And that's where he he put the overweight guys and they were restricted on what they could eat. And there was a newspaper account of a player who was assigned a fat man and he took an extra piece of chicken and <laughs> big trouble. So he had to go to quote unquote court with Glassford as the prosecutor teammates were the defense and the judge. And anyway, the defense argued that the player could take extra mashed potatoes and gravy, but didn't the judge's verdict was guilty. Presumably the sentence was extra calisthenics or whatever that was. But anyway, this was the real kicker. Some of the players decided they wanted to just, I'm I'm done. I'm out. The grind is killing me. I want to get out. But the problem was you had to hitchhike to either McCook or North Platte, both 40 miles away, nearest towns that you could go where you might find a way to get back to Lincoln. Jeez. So that was in 19, what, 49. 
And so it lasted for three years. They said that, and, and it didn't get shut down because the players didn't like it. It just got shut down because the ag college said it interfered with their own activities. <laughs> so it was like, I mean, no wonder they bonded because it was like going to war, going to battle. They were, they were in boot camp. Yeah. Literally boot camp. Not, not just regular two days. Like military boot camp. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never Jeez. heard about the fact that they trucked them out to Curtis and they had to no. hitchhike to get home if they quit. No, ever. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so anyway, so a little Husker trivia for you. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So pumped. So, so anyway. Sweet. Uh, so there's that. So sorry. Sorry to be late in the day on this. And I apologize to Centris Federal Cre Credit Union as well. A little bit later in the day than we typically are, but no harm, no harm, no foul. Uh, they're still rocking uh, some rates that you might want to check out if you're thinking about buying a home. Um, they said, yeah, a lot of people are a little nervous right now, but part of finding the right mortgage is finding the right lender. And they've got the experience that can help you put it all together. Equal housing lender, federally insured and CUA. Go to their website, centristfcu.org or 402-334-7000. Um, thank you guys for listening. Rate, review, subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends. Uh, have a great one. Thanks for listening. Pat and JT. Podcast, a Huda Media Production.